open it to Joshua 22. Hope you all are doing well today. Well, you're not going to talk to me? Man. All right, get up and give me five burpees. Come on. That'll wake you up. I do uh, want to thank you all for a wonderful uh, Pastor's Appreciation Day uh, yesterday. Oh, yeah, yesterday, but last Sunday. Uh, thank you all so much. I uh, felt all the love. I know I'm appreciated, and it feels good hearing it. So thank you all so much for for that day last Sunday. Um, today's message well, was more of a story than a message. It's a story that it comes from a text that's you know, has been on my heart and, and soul for almost a year or so now. You know, I've, I've done devotions on this text. I've made journal entries on this text. I've, I, even, I even wrote a thought of the week on, on this text some time ago. I even put a bookmark in it. I put a needle in it because I knew one day I was going to eventually preach this text. And, and today is that day that I'm going to preach this text. The context of our story is the book of Joshua. And Joshua is, is a book about the, the conquest of the promised land and the distribution of that land to the 12 tribes of Israel. Our story is, is set in Joshua 22, the same passage that was read earlier in our service. That's the setting of our story. And our story, it begins high, then it goes low, and then it rises high again at the end of the story. So Joshua 22 is in the Old Testament, the sixth book of the Bible. And before we jump in, I'm going to pray for us one more time. Father God, I do pray that you will be with us, that you will speak through me today to speak to my own heart and speak to the hearts of your people. We pray for your spirit, that he, Lord, will come into this place and that he will Move us, Lord, into that place that you want us to be. We don't have to come in worship and pretend, Lord. We don't have to come here just to check a box and, and go through the motions of it all. Lord, we can come here and be real. We can come here and be honest. We can come here and, 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 and be real about what's going on in our life with you. You already know. You already know we don't have to come pretending. We don't have to wait until everything in our life is lined up right to come, Lord. So, Father, wherever we are today, whatever we're dealing with today, I I pray that that your spirit would meet us there. And and the word that goes forth today, everyone here will hear what they need to hear from it. They will hear what they need to hear from it to empower them, to strengthen them, to go back out into this world and fight and engage one more day, one more week. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. I, I titled this story, the, the Other Side of the Jordan. The Other Side of the Jordan. It's a story about the covenant unity between God's covenant people who live on opposite sides of the Jordan River. It's a story about how covenant unity is displayed and tested and preserved between those who live on different sides of the Jordan. The story begins high. It begins with a covenant unity on display. 
The opening scene of our story takes place in a, in a place called Shiloh. And at Shiloh, the whole congregation of Israel has assembled there. All 12 tribes are there, so it's a lot of people. They all assemble there under the leadership of Joshua. At this time, Moses has, has already passed on into glory. Joshua is the leader now. And even at this place in Shiloh, they set up the ten of meetings where the Lord's tabernacle is now located. The congregation is making themselves at home in the promised land. For it is a time of peace, a time of unity, it's a time of rest. It's a high note. Covenant unity is on display. All is well in the covenant family at this point. But why? Why is covenant unity on display? It's because the Lord God is fulfilling the promise he made to their forefathers long ago. Joshua 21, 43 through 45 says, Thus says the, thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give their fathers. They took possession of it, and they settled there. And the Lord God gave them rest on every side, just as he has sworn to their fathers. Not one of their enemies have withstood them. For the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. Think about that. Let that set in. Not one word of all the covenant promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed failed. All came to pass. They all came to pass. So it's a time of celebration if you're Israelite. The Israelites are like long-suffering Cub fans. They're happy now. They're excited now. They're filled with joy now. They're on cloud nine right now because they've completed the first phase of the conquest of the promised land. Now each tribe has also received their land inheritance. Joshua and the high priest has allotted their land to them. So they've won the World Series in their mind. It's party time in Shiloh. So let's have a Yahweh parade, basically. And they shout to one another, God is good all the time, and all the time, God is good. Because Yahweh has come through. All his covenant promises have come to pass. And the whole congregation of Israel have gathered together in this place, in unity, in its own display, and it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And now in the middle of this celebration, Joshua summons two Israelite tribes and one half-tribe. He calls forward the Rumanites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. He singles them out, out of all the 12 tribes. And there's a reason. Because there's a backstory to, to why he calls them out and summons them to come forward. And this backstory happens back in Numbers 32. Because back in Numbers 32, these three tribes made a commitment to their brothers, to Moses, and to the Lord God. They made a vow to their, to their brothers, to the Israelite brothers. They would help them secure their inheritance in the land of Canaan. The two tribes and the half-tribes, they didn't want their inheritance in the land of Canaan, west of the Jordan. They wanted their inheritance to be east of the Jordan in the land of Gilead. So in Numbers 32, that the people of Reuben, the people of God, they, they made a request to Moses and Eleazar the priest 
and all the chiefs of the congregation that came to the leaders and said, if we have found favor in your eyes, let this land be given to your servants for possession. Do not take us across the Jordan. We want to stay here. We want to have our inheritance on the east side of the Jordan. Now, Moses wasn't feeling this at first. He wasn't feeling this request at first. And he gave them, you got, he gave them that, you've got to be kidding me, Luke. And so, so, so if Moses had a meme, it would be a meme of someone rolling their eyes. Really? We're in the middle of war, and you want to go ahead and get your inheritance now? I mean, what, what does that mean? What are you saying? And this is what Moses tells them. He says, shall your brothers go to war while you sit here? Will you discourage the hearts of the people of Israel from, from going over into the land that the Lord God has given them? And Moses even gave them a history lesson. He reminded them of their father's sin in this area and the consequences of the Lord. He says, you have risen in your father's place, an offspring of sinful men. That's a harsh rebuke from their leaders. But they adjusted their request. They adjusted their request to Moses. They assured Moses that they would not desert their brothers. They were on up to their covenant responsibility to their brothers. They responded to Moses with these words. It says, we will take up arms with our brothers, ready to go before the people of Israel until we have brought them to their place. We will not return to our homes on this side of the Jordan until each of the people of Israel have gained his inheritance in Canaan. Think about that. They're committing themselves to their brothers. We would not inherit with them on the other side of the Jordan beyond because our inheritance has come to us on this side of the Jordan, to the east. Moses pondered their proposal. He thought about it, and he eventually accepted it. He accepted it with a warning. He says, okay, I'm going to accept this, but if you fail to own up to it, your sin will find you out if you renege on this vow if you renege on it. But if you fulfill it, if you go with your brothers, if you labor with them, fight with them, sweat with them, and, and bring them to their inheritance, then you will be able to receive this land on the east side of the Jordan. And so when we fast forward years and years later to our present story in Joshua 22, we see that those three tribes did not renege on their vow. They honored their vow to their brothers. They fulfilled their covenant responsibility to their brethren. We see that they did help them secure their inheritance on the west side of the Jordan. We see them standing alongside their brothers. We see them celebrating with their brothers. We see covenant unity between the east side brothers and the west side brothers. Joshua summons them for recognition. That's why he calls them forward. He summons them to discharge them from their obligation. He commends them in verses 2 and 3 of Joshua 22. It says, You have kept all that Moses, the servant of your Lord, had commanded you. You have obeyed my voice and all that I have commanded you. You have not forsaken your brothers these many years. That's many, that many days is many years. Down to this day, but have been careful to keep the charge of the Lord your God. He commends them. And then he discharges them in verse 4. And now the Lord your God has given rest to your brothers that he has promised them. Therefore, turn and go to your tents 
in the land where your possession lie, which Moses, the servant of God, gave to you on the other side of the Jordan. And in verse 5, he, he gives them an exhortation. He says, only be very, very careful to observe the commandments and the law that the Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to keep his commandments, and to cling to him and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. So he, exhort, he exhorts them to serve the Lord. And then he blesses them in verse 8. He sends them away with riches. So they, so they take all this stuff back with them to the other side of the Jordan. And finally, he, he tells them, go home. Your work here is done. You can go home now. The Reubenites, the Gadites, the half-tribe of Manasseh, depart from their brothers in Shiloh in peace. They depart in peace. So they walk out of town high-fiving each other. Fist bumping, chest bumping each other. They're doing that, I see you, head nod. Yeah, I see you. They're doing that Israelite fist of pride. Mm-hmm. Yes, we did it. We have overcome. The East Side brothers and the West Side brothers are displaying covenant unity. See, the Eastern tribes and the Western tribes are part of the same covenant family, even though they live on opposite sides of the Jordan. And the same is true for believers today. We don't all live on the same side of the Jordan. We do not. We live on different continents, different nations, different states, different cities, different neighborhoods. We attend different schools. We live on opposite sides of the Jordan. We're part of different ethnic groups, cultures, age groups different education levels, different economic classes, white collar, blue collar. There's different denominations. We have different political views. We don't live on the same side of the Jordan, but we're all part of the same covenant community. Do you believe it? This covenant peace and unity between all believers should be on display. It should be celebrated. The covenant unity between among God's people, it's like being in Times Square at night when you see all the displays. It's beautiful. That's what we should, that's what we should reflect, that type of beauty here in this world. Psalm 133, one says, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. How good and pleasant it is when it happens. How good it is. The Eastern brothers and the Western brothers in our story are experiencing this covenant unity. It's been celebrated. It's on display. Even as they depart on good ways, on good terms, it's on display. So now I guess both sides of Jordan are going to live happily ever after, right? In the story, I can just close up the book. You guys can go eat lunch early. In the story. No issues now. They're all peaceful. They're all going to meet at the Jordan at some point and sing Kumbaya, right? No. The story begins high, but it's about to go low. Covenant unity is about to be tested. It's about to be tested. Waikita and I once received some parental wisdom from Wayne and Diane Blocker. And they received it from a couple friend of theirs. 
And here's the wisdom. The wisdom is this. All things eventually ends in tears when it comes to kids. All things eventually ends in tears. So basically that means siblings, they can start out playing well. Everybody's loving each other. Everybody's making compromises. Is everybody's getting along. Everybody's doing a good job. Then all of a sudden, something disturbs the peace. And then the tears come and cries for mom and dad to come fix it. Come. Covenant unity between God's people can go through a season of testing. Siblings sometimes don't get along. Now, we may play well together on certain things and other things we don't get along. It's being tested right now among believers in America because of this presidential election and because of social issues. Our unity has been disturbed. Something is interfering with it. It's messing with it. But do you have the spiritual eyes to see it for what it really is? Covenant unity can and will be tested. Ours has been tested. And what we would do. The brothers in our story, it's going to be tested as well. And when we pick up in our story, the, the three eastern tribes, they finally arrive home. Back home with their families, back home in their cities. They, they, they eventually settle into their rest and their inheritance after years and years of fighting. Some time passed too. It could be months, could be years passed. Then, then seemingly out of nowhere, these three tribes decide to build something on the west side of the Jordan. I don't know why they decided to build it, but they built something. And what they built tests the covenant unity between the east and west side of the Jordan. You see, unity is, it can almost fall apart here. Putting brother against brother, tribe against tribe, Israelite against Israelite, covenant family against covenant family, east against west, Civil war is only inches away. Civil war is only inches away. See, it's hard for us to, to connect with what really is going on in Joshua 22 because we're not there. To us, it's just, it's just a story. But you don't understand, if, if civil war breaks out here, they destroy each other. Everything they were trying to do in the conquest of the land falls apart if they go to war. The conquest is not even finished yet. This first half of it is done. And now they can possibly go to war with each other. Verse 10 says, let me find it here. I need a large print Bible. He said the three tribes, they built an imposing altar on the, on the, on the western side of the Jordan. An imposing altar. If the altar is similar to the altar of the Lord that's back in Shiloh. It's an altar of great appearance. It's eye-catching. Basically, if you're walking down the Jordan, you can't miss it. Basically. I mean, you can't miss it. It's there. It's huge. And I don't know how word got back to the Western tribe. I figure maybe a group of people were out walking by the Jordan River one day, and, and they walk upon this big altar, and they're like, well, 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 what do we have here? What is this? And so I imagine these, this group hightails it back to the west side and, and they spread the word throughout all the eastern tribes. And you know when, you, when a story passes along to people, how it changes and changes and changes? By the time it made it around the western tribe, who knows what the story was? But they all heard it. They all heard about it. 
And that's what the text says. In verse 11, it says, And the people of Israel heard it said. Now, all of them didn't see it. Word just got around. They heard it said that the people of Reuben, the people of God, and the half tribe of Manasseh have built an altar at the frontier of the land of Canaan, in the region about the Jordan, on the side that belongs to the Western brothers. The Western tribes are like, this isn't right. No, no, no. The devil is a lie. They're wondering what's happening on the other side of the Jordan. What are they doing? How dare that the brothers replace the altar of the Lord that's in Shiloh? How dare they do this? Tensions are high on the west side right now. The threat level is high. It's on high alert. And the people are all into their emotions. And so they assemble once again at Shiloh. This time, they don't assemble to celebrate. It ain't for worship. It's not to display covenant unity. They assemble to make civil war with their brothers on the other side of the Jordan. Verse 12, when the people of Israel heard of it, the whole assembly, all the western tribes assembled together at Shiloh to make war against the eastern brothers. They're on the verge of civil war. They're on the verge of, of making war against the same brothers who fought alongside of them. Think about that. The same brothers who walked with them, the same brothers who sweated with them, the same brothers who celebrated with them, the same brothers who helped them secure their land. And now they're on the verge of making war with these same brothers. And it should be pointed out that they, these eastern tribes, have, they do have legitimate concerns, because I'm telling you that the altar doesn't look good. I mean, it doesn't look good at all. I mean, it does look like a breach of faith. It does look like the brothers on the, on the east side are up to no good. It does look that way. It does look like they have turned away from the Lord. It looks that way on the surface. It's on the surface. The Western tribes don't know for sure if the altar is a breach of faith. But yet they assume that Eastern brothers are already guilty. They assume guilt on low information. They assume they have broke faith. They assume they have rebelled against the Lord. They want to make civil war without having all the information. They want to break fellowship on what appears to be a breach of faith. They want to make war with their brothers without knowing what is actually happening on the other side of the Jordan, without knowing the reason without knowing their intent. Does that sound familiar? Does that remind you of certain believers? Does it remind you of yourself? Who are the brothers and sisters on the other side of the Jordan you willing to go, war, go to war with on what appears to be a breach of faith? What group of Christians do you possess low information about but you're willing to make war with them? Our indifference is just as harmful as our assumptions when it comes to those on the other side of the Jordan. Are you going to make war with those brothers and sisters who don't vote like you on Tuesday? Are you going to make war with them because they don't agree with you politically? Are you going to make war 
with a brother or sister because of a Facebook post, because of a tweet? Are you going to make war with brothers and sisters because they may lean to the right or to the left politically? Are you going to make war with other Christians because their views on race and justice are different than yours? Are you going to make war on what appears to be sin? Are you going to break fellowship on low information? Are you going to make war without even going to the other side of Jordan to have a conversation with a brother and sister in Christ? What are you going to do? What have you done? I guess it's the question. The, where, the tribes, the Western tribes in our story, they are on the verge of doing that. Civil war is just inches away. But praise God for good leadership on the West Side. Because that's what stopped all this mess. The leaders stood up and led. The Western leaders, they, they calmed the tension of the people. They didn't feed into the fears of the people. They didn't play with their emotions. They didn't lead them down this path of, of division. They didn't edge them on to civil war with their brothers on the east side. The leaders wanted to preserve the covenant unity between the east and the west. And they, and they reminded the western tribes that they too have a covenant responsibility to their brothers on the other side. And that responsibility is this. Give them the benefit of the doubt. Give them the benefit of the doubt because they're part of the covenant family like you. Remember. Remember what they did for you. They left all their people, their wives and kids, back over in Gilead, and they fought with you for years. And now, off of what appears to be a breach of faith, you're willing to go to war with them without even crossing over to the Jordan to know what's really going on. The leaders know what Moses said in Deuteronomy 13, 12 and 14. It says, if you hear in one of the cities which the Lord your God has given you to dwell, that certain ruthless, ruthless fellows have gone out among you and have drawn away the inhabitants of that city, saying, let us go and serve other gods which you have not known. Then you shall inquire, make search, and ask diligently before you do anything. Notice what he's telling them to do. You need to do your homework before you go to war with your brothers. You don't go to war on appearances. You don't go to war on assumptions. You don't go to war on what appears to be something. You need to go inquire. You need to go search. And you need to ask diligently. You need to make sure your ducks are lined up in a row. You need to make sure all your T's are crossed and your I's are dotted. Inquire. Get more information. And this information can't be obtained by simply talking with people who live on the same side of Jordan as you. You can't rely on people who live on the same side of the Jordan as you to tell you about life on the other side of the Jordan. You can't do that. You've got to go to the other side of the Jordan for yourself. You need to go talk to the people yourself. Each of us need to take note of that principle. Because when it comes to believers who live on the other side of the Jordan and us, we cannot listen to experts and commentators who live on our side. You need to go to those on the other side to know what's really going on. That's what you have to do. The Western tribes, they need to have a coming to Yahweh meeting with their brothers on the east side. And they do. They do. 
they send a Western delegation to the east side to talk with the eastern brothers. They sent all the leaders to the east side. They sent the, the, the priests. They sent the ten tribes, the ten chiefs of all the heads of the family of Israel. They all left their family and traveled to the east side of the Jordan to talk with their brothers. And when this delegation gets there, this is what they say to, the, to, the, to, the, to those three tribes. Because this delegation, they represent all the western tribes. They're sitting there as representatives. So they speak for all those people on the east side. Thus says the whole congregation, what is this breach of faith that you have committed against the Lord your God? And turn away from him and fall in the Lord by building for yourselves an altar this day in rebellion against the Lord your God. They want an explanation. They're giving them the benefit of the doubt. They want to know the reason that they're doing it. And at this point, they're not operating out of assumptions at this point. Because if they were operating out of assumption, they would be at war right now. They would be at war right now. Because they would assume they were already guilty. They went to the other side because they gave them the benefit of the doubt. They went to the other side so they can hear the explanation. So they can figure out what's really going on. So they have covenant concerns about the covenant community and their covenant community. The Western delegation reminds the Eastern tribes that sin impacts the whole community. It's not just isolated to the individual or the group who committed it. He's saying that the covenant community is responsible to hold each other accountable for the sin that's in their presence. So that's why they go out of covenant responsibility. And so they give them two historical examples uh, 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 how that happened in their, in their history. They gave them the example of the Baal worship that happened at Peor. And they gave them the, the example of the sin of Achan when he, when he took the devoted things that were meant for destruction. Because in both of those examples, sin impacted the whole community. The consequence fell on the whole community. And so the, Eastern, the Western tribes don't want the Eastern tribes to fall into the same sin because the consequence will impact the whole community. They even invite them back to their side of the Jordan to find if their side of Jordan isn't clean enough. If you can come back and live with us. You ain't got to stay here. Just don't sin against the Lord. Just don't rebel. These are legitimate concerns being addressed face to face. Not through social media, not through tweets, not through Facebook, not through blog posts, but personal inaction. That's how they're dealing with it. Coming to Yahweh meeting face to face. Do you have legitimate concerns about your brothers and sisters who live on the other side of the Jordan? You should have concerns because you have covenantal responsibility to them. And that's the problem with American Christianity. It's individualistic. It's not covenantal. We don't really value we say we value the unity, but we really don't when we look at what we really, how we really live. We're connected covenantally in, in Christianity. We're not just existing individual on these little islands. I said this before. It ain't just you and Jesus on the island. It's you, Jesus, and all the other brothers and sisters. You're not the only child. I'm sorry to tell you that. You've got to share all the covenant promises with everybody else. It ain't just yours. You can't walk around saying it's mine. It's everybody's. Who call upon the name of Jesus. Don't be brothers and sisters 
who don't know, don't show, and don't care about what's happening on the other side of the Jordan. Because what's happening over there is going to eventually impact you. Do you think the persecution that's impacting our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world ain't one day going to come here? <laughs> Those who think individually say no, but if you're thinking covenantally, you know one day it may come. One day it may come. Because we're connected with all the other Christians around the world. Don't assume you're right and those on the other side are wrong. Go to the other side of Jordan. Hear their stories. Listen to what they say. See, what I love about the Western delegation is that when they come, that they don't shame and guilt the East Side brothers. Now, they hold them accountable. They ask them some hard questions. They ain't sugarcoating it. But they don't shame, they don't beat them up. They speak the truth in love. Something that we need to learn in how we deal with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. Speak hard truth in love. Can we do that? The people of Reuben, Gad, and the half tribe of Manasseh, they, they get a chance to respond to these concerns by the Western delegation. They get an opportunity to finally address their concerns, and, and they, get, they finally give the reason by, behind why they built the altar. And I love, they, they begin their response by calling upon the name of Yahweh. And the, the, the East Side brothers are now like, fix it, Yahweh. Woo! Yahweh, fix this. Because look at what they say. They say, the mighty one, God, the Lord. That, that's basically saying, yo, you got to fix this. Because things are getting ready to go south. Mighty one, God, Yahweh, the mighty one, God, Yahweh, he knows. He knows our true intent. He knows our motives. He knows this is not a breach of faith. He knows we have not rebelled. And now, Lord, please let the Western tribes know also. Let them know that what we did was not so that we can break fellowship and rebel against the Lord. And, and they don't defend themselves either. They don't get defenses. They, they actually put themselves at the mercy of their brothers. Look at these words. He says, they say, if it was in rebellion or in breach of faith against the Lord, don't spare us today. Think about that. If we did commit sin, hey, go ahead. Do what you will to us. If we did. If we did build this altar to turn away from the Lord. Or if we did it to, to offer burnt offerings and grain offerings. May the Lord himself take vengeance. They place themselves at their mercy. They're willing to accept the consequences if they have committed sin. But they haven't. It's not rebellion. It's not a breach of faith. They built the altar. They didn't build the altar to replace the one that was already at Shiloh. They built it for another reason. And when you hear that reason, you're going to notice something familiar. You're going to see that the eastern tribes also make assumptions about the western side as well. Both sides of Jordan make assumptions about one another. The same is true for us as well. All believers living on opposite sides of the Jordan make assumptions about each other. The assuming is not just with one group. We assume the problem is with other people. We hardly ever think the problem is on our side. All of us do this. We all do it. The Eastern tribe does too. They have assumptions and they give in to their assumptions. I mean, 
they built this altar and assumed that their brothers were just going to be okay with it. I mean, come on. This is like, that's like my kid doing something to think, well, I guess daddy would be okay with it if I do this. I didn't ask his permission. I'm just going to do it. I mean, think about that. How could they assume that their West Side brothers would, would, would not take issue with that? I mean, they just built it there and just left it there. They didn't give no explanation. They didn't even go to the west side of the Jordan to talk with their brother. They just built the altar and went back home as if everything was okay. Assumptions are being made by them as well. And they also have legitimate concerns. They have the same concerns as their western brothers too. And that, those concerns are covenant unity and covenant community. The difference is that the east side didn't travel to the west side to talk about it. They just built this altar. Verse 24. No, but we did it from fear that in time to come, your children might say to our children, what do you have to do with the Lord, the God of Israel? For the Lord had made a boundary, has made a Jordan a boundary between you, us and you, you people of Reuben, people of God. You have no portion in the Lord. So your children might Make our children cease to worship the Lord. Therefore, we said, let us now build an altar, not for burnt offerings or sacrifice, but to be a witness between us and you, between our generations after us, that we do perform the services of the Lord in his presence with our burnt offerings and sacrifices and peace offerings. So your children will not say to our children in time to come, you have no portion in the Lord. And we thought, if this should be said of us, or to our descendants in time to come, we shall say, Behold, the copy of the altar of the Lord, which our fathers made, not for burnt offerings or for sacrifices, but to be a witness between us and you. To be a witness between us and you. They had concerns that the future generations on the west side of the Jordan, but come to see that the eastern brothers had no portion in the Lord because they live on the wrong side of the Jordan. Because they live on the wrong side of the Jordan. This altar was a copy of the one at Shiloh. It was built to be a witness between both sides of the Jordan, a witness to the covenant unity between them. It's a witness that, that Yahweh is served on both sides of the Jordan. It's a witness that Yahweh has people on the east side and the west side. And when these leaders, when this explanation is given, the western delegation, they receive it. It's good in their eyes. They, they, they said, today we know that the Lord is in our midst because you have not committed this breach of faith. But you have delivered the people of Israel from the hands of the Lord. And so they depart again in peace. And when they make it back home, they give the good news to the Western brothers. And, and they're excited and they bless the Lord. They no longer speak of making war with their brothers. And verse 24 says, the altar is a witness between both sides of the Jordan that Yahweh is God. You see, covenant unity between them isn't based on land not based on covenant promises. It's based on Yahweh. It's based on their covenant God. He's the glue. He's the connector. He unifies both sides of the Jordan. But what about us today? 
What's our altar of witness? What's the, the altar of witness for, for believers who live on opposite sides of the Jordan? What is our covenant unity based upon? It's not based upon our nationality. It's not based upon our denominations. It's not based upon our culture. It's not based upon our ethnic group. It's not based upon whether or not we are progressive Christians or traditional Christians. It's not based upon being a Republican or a Democrat. It's not based upon social issues or movements. The covenant unity between all believers who live on different sides of Jordan is based on Jesus Christ himself. His finished work, his life, his death, his resurrection. Jesus is our connector. He is the glue. Jesus is the altar between us, between those of us who live on opposite sides of the Jordan. But do you believe that? There is no other altar. There's a witness between me and you that we're unified in God's covenant, but Jesus Christ. He's the only one. Jesus died on a cross for your sins so that we can be born again. So that means Jesus went low so that we can be brought high. That's what that means. That means Jesus is the only one who's going to make things great again. That's what that means. That means that Jesus does not take a Sabbath rest every four years. That's what that means. That means he's the redeemer. He's the sustainer of all his people on the north side of town, on the south side of town, in the ghetto, in the suburb, in the, in the third world country, in the first world country, in South Huntsville, in North Huntsville, in Lincoln Village, in Madison County, in Madison City, in Decatur. He has people on all sides of the Jordan, and they all are unified in him as a covenant community. But do we believe that? It doesn't matter which side of the Jordan you're living on. If you have saving faith in Jesus Christ, you are part of his covenant community. That's what that means. And so that means none of us have the freedom to break fellowship with a brother and sister in Christ off what appears to be sin without going over to talk with them. Let no man take apart what God has brought together. Now that means if we think we have more in common with those who, like, who agree with us politically than our brother and sister in Christ, then we got it wrong. We got something wrong. If I'm willing to lock arms with them as opposed to my brothers in covenant, I'm in covenant with because of Jesus. We are stronger together. Not a political slogan, but in Jesus we are. Because here's the thing. We don't make our unity. He purchased that unity for us already. We've already reconciled. Because of his death on the cross. We just don't live it out. We just don't live it out. You are in covenant unity with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And I close with this reading from Ephesians 4. And it says, Therefore, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility, gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, 
one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. That's who we are. But do we believe it? Will we believe it on Wednesday? Or will we think Jesus is on Sabbath rest? Because what's going to happen on Tuesday? At least give him some credit. At least give him some credit. If he can have a solution for the fall, he can handle what's going on in the world right now. And here's the thing. He is handling it. We just don't believe it. Believe in him who is greater than your doubts. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that no matter what side of life we live on, if we have faith in you, we are part of your covenant community. And that our unity isn't based on covenant promises. It's not based on anything but Jesus Christ himself and his cross, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. So as your people, as in this country, as we head out this week to cast votes and all those, that, those things, help us to know that you're not silent. Help us to know that you're still in control. Help us to at least give you that credit. So be with us, guide us, we pray for our country, we pray for our leaders, and to pray for all this in Christ's name. Amen. Will you please stand as we close our service?